And now, Fastened Like Nails with Dr. Mark Hamby. Well, Molly, to say that I'm excited would be an understatement as we have Colin Smith in the studio with us again. Colin, great to be here. Thank you, thank you. And fun fact, we did come back after dinner. (laughs) (laughs) We did. And we were talking about friendships and uh, the way friendships are formed. Mm -hmm. We looked at last about Saul um, being somewhat jealous, Saul taking into his own hands, Mm -hmm. manipulating, controlling, so that um, he would always be the beneficiary of what he was seeking after, using other people. And then you talked about David and Jonathan, and they were they were connected. You know, they were attract. There was a compelling, contract, um, attractive element in their relationship because of their character. Um, mm-hmm. Explain that before we go into this next section, Colin. Explain a little bit more about why David and Jonathan became so close. In fact, the Scripture says, this is the only place that occurs in Scripture, that they had love for each other that was greater than the love of a man with a woman. Can you mm. explain that? Well, it's it, because it's faith. Mm. Um, if you look at the different type of loves in Scripture, you've got brotherly love, like Philadelphia, and then you have, like, the phylos, and then you have the erotic love, with his eros. Mm-hmm. Then you have agape love. Mm. That's faith. Uncon- now, it's how do you, unconditional, how do you to- self-sacrificing love. And Jonathan... Wait, wait, time out, time out. How do you relate it to faith? I always really would have relate agape love to unconditional love. Mm. So yeah. tell me how you're connecting it with faith. Well, what you have is you have something deeper. This is how um, the Bible expressly says there's one type of love that's greatest. It's agape, right? Mm-hmm. So this is how I, how I believe it's greater than love between a man and a woman, eros. Okay. Right? So when you look at this kind of love, this is a kind of love that seeks the good of the other side. So you see evidence of this kind of love, like say when Jonathan finds out that David is on the run and he goes to David, risking his own life. Mm -hmm. David risks his own life to speak to Jonathan. It could be an ambush, Mm -hmm. but he loves Jonathan more than his own life. And then Jonathan loves David more than his own life. He goes back to Saul and mentions it to Saul. Mm -hmm. And Saul even says, what do you not love your own life? You're the next in line to be king. Mm And, and Jonathan is like, goes back to David and says, yeah, dad wants to kill you. You're right. And he provides help for him. Mm. So it's a kind of love that seeks the good of the other at the cost of you. And, and that's the kind of love that Christians have for each other. It's the kind of love that Jesus speaks about in John 15. This commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. And it goes even back further to Leviticus 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's a selfless love, a giving love that you're supposed to have for your neighbor. And Jonathan and David have it because they see each other and they see in each other the same character quality. You know, it's interesting is that that is the kind of love that you have for God as well because when you first come to know the Lord as your Savior, by faith, you're giving your life hmm. to someone, this new, this God that you're hmm. just beginning to know. You're taking the huge step of faith to give your life to this God of the universe that you just are getting to know initially. You don't really know who he is. You know he's God, you yep. believe, but you don't know him experientially yet. Mm-hmm. And so that first step is a step of faith, of love. For God so loved the world, now we in turn by faith love him. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, cool. and it's so important when you're choosing, when your children are choosing friends and they're seeking out people to share their lives with, it's so important that they look for friends who have the qualities um, that the Bible talks about, humility, Mm -hmm. 
kindness, honesty, courage, conviction, trustworthiness, honor, selflessness. And in so many of those character qualities, um, it's the idea of looking for a friend because of those qualities. Mm-hmm. Jonathan saw that David was courageous, mm-hmm. and he saw he was a man of valor, meaning he trusted God. And he said, you know what? God can do this. So what was happening in in, in this story is um, you have to go back. You have to step back and see what Jonathan does first. So in 1 Samuel 13, there's only two people in all of Israel with the military equipment to fight the Philistines, Saul and Jonathan. They had iron armor, iron swords, and an iron spear, most importantly. The only way to punch through iron armor is with an iron spear hmm. because bronze will just you know, bend. Mm-hmm. You can't punch through. So these are two people who needed to save Israel, and they're set up. And one, Saul, sits under a pomegranate tree <laughs> with the two losers, Hophni and Phinehas, those two loser priests, right? Mm-hmm. And he sits there and does nothing and just sort of dwells there. And then you look, what Jonathan does is he went out to meet the task. Jonathan didn't wait. He went out to meet the task at once. And this is what courageous people do. Part of courage is meeting the, meeting the challenge immediately. Mm. And I kind of liken it to if you ever grew up like I did in a home where you, were, you didn't have a lot of heat, <laughs> you wake up in the morning, it's really cold outside of your bed. Mm-hmm. A courageous person says, well, let's get this over with, throws the sheets off and goes to work and takes a cold shower. It takes a lot of courage when you're at camp and it's cold. You got to get up in the morning. A not courageous person will say, let me wait a few minutes and stay here where it's comfortable and safe and warm under the pomegranate tree. Mm-hmm. And so Jonathan says, you know what? It's a difficult task. I'm going to meet it at once. And he says to his armor bearer, let's do this. Come with me. Let's go over this garrison and see these uncircumcised. Mm-hmm. And it's key. You have to look at that word uncircumcised. This is key because he's looking at the opponents, not at their strengths or their military um, advantage. They were at the top of a hill with iron armor. He was looking at it in terms of God's covenant promises to his people. Whoa, this is so good. So, Wait, wait, time out, time out. This is so good. Let me relish this moment, please. (laughs) Okay, so this is making me consider the people that work here at Lamplighter. Mm. the people that we want to invest our lives into, mm-hmm. do they rise to meet the task? Yeah. You know, do they rise to get outside of their comfort zone and say, I'll, I'll do it? Mm. You know, it's, it's really the type of value system that we want to cultivate here mm-hmm. at Lamplighter because if you get a group of people, and, and right now we have those people here. Everyone that's here has that has that kind of value. Mm. They're they're here to meet the challenge. Molly, look what happened last week. Mm. You know, we were yeah. working till eleven, twelve o'clock at night. Yeah, we were talking about the uh, which I think one of the last podcasts was about hard work, and we were talking about all the paper that needed to be moved. But everybody got together. There was like eight to fifteen of us, and we all just like cleaned the garage. Okay, out wait, in like you got to hear this. Minutes. We we have an architect coming. We have this 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 facility. It's called a carriage house. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's it's old. It's filled with junk. It's next to the to the Victorian house. It's one of those projects you know you want to do it, but it just keeps getting put on the back so, burner. So the architect is coming on Friday, right? It's now Wednesday, and I haven't even and we have a new hire here. His name is Daniel, and I showed Daniel the job. Daniel, one of these days you got to go over there and mm-hmm. tackle this, right? And he, you should have seen his face. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll, he'll, he'll do it, right? He's going to mm-hmm. do it no matter what. He's that kind of, he's got that kind of character. But I felt kind of bad, like, uh-huh. this is, 
this is going to take days to get this done, right? It's filled <laughs> with junk and it's filthy. So Wednesday, Lamplighter gets two semi-trucks to appear here on campus at the exact same time. One's got six pallets of paper and the other one's got four pallets of cardboard. And we're like, oh, no, mm-hmm. where and are we, we going to put this we stuff? We don't have enough space for it. And we had just decided that we were going to remove all of the paper from the one garage so that we could eventually move it over to another garage and Daniel could have that workspace as his as his workshop. Yeah. You know, and so the truck I come over there and the truck already unloads one of the one of the pallets of paper. This thing weighs two thousand pounds. Two thousand pounds of just one of them out of six. Whoa. And so I'm looking at it and I'm going like, oh we need a quick decision here. And I said, Hey, would you mind um, we're gonna bring this across the other street. <laughs> Would you mind like putting this back in your truck and driving it over there? And he goes, no, I don't mind. And as soon as he said that, the green light turned on and I went into the office. I said, everybody, we're all going to the carriage house. And so there was like, what, 10 of us? Yeah, yeah. We all ran to the carriage house, all 10 of us, and we started cleaning that thing out, house. bringing everything out of there. We, we took everything out. It, this huge pile, it would have fit a, a 60, you know, whatever those things are, those 25 foot, you know, 10 foot high, you know, dumpsters. It was unique. They were like 1800s random stuff. <laughs> and within, so I told the guy, I said, it's going to take us probably at least like 20 minutes to do this. He goes, I got your back. Go for it. We got that whole thing done in 20 minutes, yeah. all 10 of us. And he, everything is now in there. It's beautiful in there. It's clean. And the architect came and she, she goes, whoa. She goes, when did you have time to do this? You know? <laughs> so that I love that you bring that idea out on the type of friends that our children need to be looking for, people that are willing to, you know, get out of their comfort zone and get it done, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Those, take, take the initiative. Mm-hmm. And, with courage. With, with resolve. Resolve. Yes. I like that. And that's that's what D- Jonathan does. He he knows that he's facing a superior opponent, but he knows there's no one else for the job. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't look at that. He looks at the Philistines, and rather than seeing an obstacle, he sees them as uncircumcised. But wow, that's amazing. I never thought of that before. Yeah, isn't yeah. that so cool? Because he knew that. the covenant-keeping God was with his people, wow. and he'd be able to save him. And that's what he says: he can save by many or by few. That's powerful. And and so he goes. He takes courage. That's so powerful. Because the Lord is with him. He knows the Lord can save. The Lord is with me. Mm. This is the foundation of courage, is knowing that God is with you. Mm. And so he acts on that. And the result is Jonathan goes to this hill, and he says, you want me to come up or you want to come down? Either way, I'm going to kill you. And they're like, well, then come on up if you want to die. And he literally fights on his hands and knees. He's crawling on this steep steep, rock, And it's probably a lot of loose rock, too. And he's crawling up with his armor bearer behind him, and he's killing these guys as they come down to him. Why is his armor bearer behind him? Well, he's either in front or behind. Okay. Um, he could have been holding the shield, mm-hmm. but either way, this is an incredibly difficult task. Uh-huh. Yeah. And this is amazing. And I can Be- picture the Philistines kind of laughing at him. Oh, absolutely. They mm-hmm. thought it was a joke until about one person died and everyone gets mad and they say okay maybe it was that person and then they send another person if you imagine that and they're like well okay he wasn't our best let's send the best and then the best gets killed and then next thing you know they're going in pairs they're going in triplets and they're just falling mm-hmm. one after another and you have to see how amazing this feat is because you 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 understand he took the initiative and he acted and the Lord is supplying here so what's going on with Jonathan is he slays these these people 
these Philistines, he leads Israel to uh, this wonderful victory. He leads them in victory because he takes courage. So um, honor and courage in battle, valor, is leading the way. In the Civil War, uh, it was the commander who said, follow me, men, and he ran towards a hail of gunfire. The same is true with uh, D-Day. You know, it's those guys who landed in the, on, on the beaches on D-Day and said, follow me, and they ran towards mm, the bullets. Wow. Taking initiative in the face of danger. And then you see what happens later and, and it makes more sense now because this story of David and Jonathan has a twin. What do you mean? A twin. Where is it? Who has a twin? It has a twin story. In what way? Chapter 17 is a twin story to chapter 13. They're twins, just like David's soul is a twin and stitched to Jonathan's, the yeah. stories are stitched together of their valor. Oh. Their acts match, their deeds and their acts match their courage and their valor. Whoa. And they're similar. So chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath, is one half of a whole. And so you see in chapter 17, David responds to the challenge of Goliath. You have the same situation. Once again, Saul is not being courageous. He's delaying. Hmm. You got the Whoa. tallest guy in all of Israel is the logical conclusion to fight the tallest guy of the Philistines, right? I wish our, I wish our listeners could see Molly and I <laughs> glancing at each other, looking at each other like, wow, <laughs> you know? It's fantastic. Are we being ministered to? Yeah, oh, can, for can sure. Can you mention what our listeners are, are hearing right now? I hope that as you're listening to this, this is so deep and wide. Mm-hmm. Colin, this is just amazing insight. Keep, okay, keep going. So, so the <laughs> Lord, um, once again, Saul, who doesn't have faith, and he doesn't have this courage. And he delays. And he delays because he doesn't know the Lord is with him. He might die. He's afraid of that. Doesn't well, take the initiative. If you know the Lord is with you, you, you go forward in faith. Mm. You know, you, you take initiative. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't know what's really going to happen, mm-hmm. you, you, God is with you. So he's going to protect you. I like what he says to David um, about David. And uh, actually, um, Abigail says this to David. David, you are bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. Yep. You know, don't take things into your own hands. The Lord thy God has gotten you, got you bound in the bundle of life in his protective care. Yep. That's really cool. It's like um, all of this courage, you can trace this back to Joshua, Joshua 1.9. Only be strong and be of good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed. Why? For the Lord thy God is with thee wherever thou goest. Mm. Joshua ties strength and courage to the Lord being with you. Hmm. Because you know you might not be able to do it, but the one who goes with you can. Hmm. And it's faith and trust married together. And that's why Paul says he God gave us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love. A sound and mind. Sound mind is the same thing as courage, self-control. Oh, that's cool. You know what it takes you oh, to get up out beautiful. of a cold bed and, and face something directly? Yeah. Self-control, mm-hmm. control courage. yourself to do what you need to do. Yep. Wow. Cool. Self-control and courage are synonymous in the Bible. Cool. So... David, let's get back to David. Mm-hmm. He arrives at this camp and everyone's terrified. Saul's not taking initiative. And this giant is profaning. He's profaning the living God. He's saying mm-hmm. things about God he shouldn't say mm-hmm. on their soil. And the Lord says, he, and David responds in 1733, he says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Mm-hmm. And David, like does Jonathan— say, Does he say uncircumcised Philistine? He does later. He okay. does. So he says this—in David, like Jonathan, though, the, the similarity is David was able to be courageous because he knew the Lord was with him. Hmm. So after, after he says this, 
Actually, I think he does say uncircumcised there. We I think he does too. We got to. Oh yeah, he it. does say it. He does say it. Yeah. So that's another. Always sim- looking it up. That is a yeah. I think that's another similarity. Yeah, I think that I put that in there. <laughs> yeah. So David has the same perspective on the Philistines as Jonathan does. What are they doing on our land? They don't have a covenant with the living, true, true and living God. Mm-hmm. He's not with them. He's with us. Mm. They should be terrified, not us. And so Christianity. Um, like, like you talk about the gates of hell sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's us storming the gates of yeah, hell. Amen. It's not the gates of hell storming our <laughs> battlements. <laughs> We're storming their battlements. I love it. They should be terrified of us. Yeah. And so, or, he, or, and maybe not so much terrified, but let's maybe convince them that they're on the wrong side. Yes. Maybe convince them through the attractive gospel that they're missing something in life, and then some of the enemy will come over to the other side. Absolutely. Yeah. We should be storming the enemy's camp. Yeah. We shouldn't be the ones holed up in the, you know, in their battlements. Yeah. And this is the same thing, just taking the initiative to share the gospel with your friends. Well, isn't that what David did, though, with some of the Philistines? Some of the Philistines yep. were his mighty men. Yeah, yeah. the Cherethites and the Parathites, yeah. his own personal bodyguard, were all Philistines. That is funny. <laughs> Which yeah. is amazing. Because they, guess what they saw? They saw in David what they had not seen in anyone else. Mm. They had seen true integrity, true courage. They saw something different. Yeah. They, what they didn't see in Goliath, they saw Goliath is similar to a Saul, yep. a haughty, selfish, you know, person that was more, you know, authority-based, you know. Yep. And, do, and so what they saw in David was something entirely different than this whole team of soldiers come to yep. David and become his mighty men. Well, that's it. David had something about him that Saul didn't, that made him attractive and magnetic. And what it was, was his confidence in God. And the thing, the crazy thing is, Saul was good looking, he was tall, he looked the part, but he didn't have that charisma because he didn't have the same energy David had. Mm -hmm. He didn't have that love for God that inspires people. And so what happens here is, David says to this Philistine, he says, God will deliver me from this hand of this uncircumcised. And so David goes forward, and um, I love the story of David and Goliath because it's a tribute to how shrewd and tricky David is. Mm. It's, he, he feigns weakness, but it's really strength. And Goliath is feigning strength, but he's really weak. And so David plays the part of the shepherd. Oh, I'm just a weak shepherd. And Goliath is pretending and posturing like how big he is, and this is kind of like the world. The world wants to tell us how important they are, how big they are. And they want to tell us how weak and little we are. David plays the part, lures Goliath into a, a, a place where he thinks he's invincible, and David takes him down very skillfully. And it, and it wasn't a lucky shot, but what you see here is after David slays this giant, mm. he lifts up this head in victory, and Jonathan loves him. Jonathan takes notice of David's courage. And in uh, 1 Samuel 18, it says... The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. That's amazing. That's beautiful. I always find it crazy, the story of Jonathan and David, because, like, Saul was pretty jealous and everything. But of everyone in the entire story, like, Jonathan had the most right to be jealous of David. Because this was like the guy who's coming up and taking kind of his rightful place. Mm -hmm. He's taking his sister. He and Saul have a really good relationship. And then... His dad gets all like crazy, and and yet it had said like from the moment he saw him or something like that, his soul mm-hmm. was knit to him. It was like crazy. Guess what I named my two boys? <laughs> Jonathan and Mark. No, mm. Jonathan and David. Yep. And because of the story, were they always fighting like Jonathan and 
or, no, or I've, I've sorry, David and Saul. I always prayed that they would end up having this kind of relationship, and it, it may end that way. I'm yeah. hoping, still hoping it, it does. I mean, they're close, but I'm hoping it ends up with this kind of relationship because this story, it pr- appealed to me so much 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, it um, th- there's something about the mm-hmm. like you've said, what attracted Jonathan to David, what attracted David to Jonathan, and that Jonathan came from Saul. Yeah. And but Jonathan didn't want to be like his father. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Jonathan wanted something much greater than that. And what he saw through spiritual eyes, and, and this goes back to unless 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 we're walking by faith, and God gives you through His Spirit this spiritual eyes to see what the where, where the real battle is. Yep. Fall, mm-hmm. Saul was fighting his own his own prophet, his own people, for yep. his own advantage. But David and Jonathan saw where the real battle. Was. Well, there's 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 people who seek. Like Saul or Goliath, who seek this world, they mm-hmm. seek to be important in this mm-hmm. world. And then there's people who see the real, deeper truth of serving the Lord, mm-hmm. like Jonathan and David. And for those people, they absolutely can work together. And, they, and the reason why is because they learn that they love serving one another. Yeah, and and this the proverb says where two people can't walk together, hold hands unless they're going the same direction. Mm-hmm. You need shared goals. Mm-hmm. You need to share the goals. You need to have shared goals. And so the shared goal of Jonathan and David is we're the God's covenant people and the Lord is with us hmm. and we know where we're going. Hmm. And therefore, Jonathan doesn't need to worry about the throne. He's, he's got more waiting for hmm. him on the other end. Saul, on the other end, not a shared goal. Hmm. God's glory was not his delight. Hmm. And okay, was, and just, just a side note, Molly was looking up whether or not David said to this Philistine, you're an uncircumcised Philistine. Colin, we want to okay. Does he? A little bit of drum roll. I'm I'm sorry to tell you that. No. (laughs) Yeah, no. It was in verse 36. It was funny because, and maybe this is the structure there, but it's at 36. It's not in 33, which you had written down that it was not in 33, and you were right. It's not there. But later on, a couple verses later, guess what he says? What did he say? Just as God delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of this uncircumcised Philistine. Uh, no, that's 37. Oh, did I say the wrong one? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Molly, read it. Well, the one that has it is, Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he's defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said what you said. That's what I just kind of said. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's amazing. I never saw yeah. the meaning, the, the significance. Of that, yeah. I never saw it. Yeah, that's really great. And and I think so. The what I would take away from this with our children is um, this is a good biblical example of making friends with people who are who possess godly character qualities mm. and who are worthy of our respect. And you know, a lot of friendships are formed around like we work together. Uh Or we go to the same church or we're in youth group together about the same age. But I think we really need to start encouraging our kids to make friends with people who have character qualities that we want them to foster in themselves. Hmm. To seek out for themselves friends that will sharpen them. Mm -hmm. Friends that that will inspire them to godliness. Friends that have something that they want. You know, in the world, it says uh, the sons of the world are wiser than the sons of men. Mm-hmm. The idea is like sons of light, sons of light, because the world knows if you want to be rich, go out and make rich friends. Mm-hmm. If you want to be successful in sports, go out and make good sports friends, mm-hmm. friends who are good at sports. They know that. 
But our, our kids, we need to tell them, if you want to be godly mm-hmm. in this world and walk godly, find godly friends. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, time out. What happens, though, if you have a child that doesn't want to have godly friends? I mean, what? I mean, that's the reality. That yeah. happens. Yeah. So what do you what do you do in those situations where you've got a teenager, and this teenager just has a bent on worldly things, bent on YouTube videos, bent on you know video gaming, bent on dressing immodestly, bent mm-hmm. on you know wanting piercings, bent on you know wanting what the newest fad is. So what do you do if you have a mm-hmm. teenager? That's bent on worldly things. Well, you you have to realize first of all, um, like you talked about in the last podcast, which one of those people is he? Which one of those five people? Simple, youthful, knowledgeable, wise, discerning, or fools that hate knowledge, or the mockers that delight in their mocking. I didn't say that in the last podcast, by the way. That's the that's the that's the progression. Simple. They're naive. They're gullible. They they're thoughtless. They 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 just don't think things through. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> junior high kid. What were you thinking of? You know, and then there's they move toward gaining knowledge. They're they're pursuing knowledge. They they want to know. And then they after they pursue knowledge, they become a little bit wiser. They are able to use that knowledge in a practical sense. And then they literally come combined with. The spirit of God, they start having discernment between good and evil, and if they don't, if they don't possess that, um, then they're going to go backwards. The simple that won't grow in knowledge and become youthful, knowledgeable people, the simple will go the opposite direction. It says fools hate knowledge; yeah. they become foolish, and then the last type of person—that's the one that Solomon talks and says, um, "This person, when he's afraid." And sudden terror comes upon him, and he calls, I will not answer him. Mm-hmm. You know, um, He will be destroyed by his own ways. Which, which is, who, did so, who was terrified at the end because God didn't answer him, wouldn't talk to him? Saul. Mm. Saul. Yeah. You know, I think what you do is you, um, you have an example of someone who was like a father to Saul. His name was Samuel. Mm-hmm. Mm. And Samuel continued to set Paul on the right path, but he did not put Saul before God. And when the time came and God said, I've rejected him, you know how grieved Samuel was? He was grieved yeah, over he Saul. Mm-hmm. But he, he delivered the news to mm-hmm. Saul that God had rejected him because he knew that God was first. Hmm. So I think when you have a child like that, you have to acknowledge where they're at. You can't lie to yourself. Right. And what you have to do is you have to be like a Samuel to their Saul. And, and, and this is where Proverbs comes in. My son, listen to instruction. Listen to wisdom. Wisdom cries out. Mm. You have to continually cry out to them wisdom. Mm. Try, continually try to. But it's, it's about obtaining wisdom, and it's about they need to see wisdom as something valuable and mm. seek it. Do you force it, or do you? I mean, what, it, they become 16, 17, 18 years old. They're still living in the home. I mean, how do you, how do you practice that in the home? Do you, let's say that they're still not, you're, you're, you're gently you know, informing them, you know, encouraging them. Yeah. Well, there's there's not a single parent of teenagers who isn't living every day the truth of a fool is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give an answer. <laughs> you just, what you do is you realize you're in the long haul with them. Mm-hmm. You're in a role where you're crying out wisdom. And as you cry and, out and wisdom. Crying out, crying out to God. For you're crying answers. out to God, praying for them, because what's going to change their heart is God. Mm. 
The fool is not going to change his ways unless God comes and corrects him personally. Mm-hmm. So you want God to change his heart and you want to be there for them to cry out wisdom because if, even if God takes you off the scene, they're going to remember someday mom used to say this, mm-hmm. dad used to say this. That's cool. And, and they, there's still a chance for them. Okay, so let's say they're in your home, they're 18 years old, and they're not, you know, they're not listening. They're, they're using profanity once in a while. You keep telling them about it or they're, yeah. you know, they're, they're going to do what they're – they don't want to go to church anymore. Do you allow them to stay in the, stay in the home? Well, I think you have to draw a line with being a danger to themselves or other people. I think if they become a danger to the other kids in the house or other people, you definitely remove them. Mm. Um, but you're, you have to understand, too, at some point, your, your grace is a bad grace. It's, it's enabling them. Mm. You, have to, you have to, at some point, push them out of the nest, but you can't just push them out of the nest and run away. You have to be there for them. You keep pursuing. Yeah, because well, the, you're going to transition from a role of a law enforcer slash kind of a, I don't know, pseudo dictator in their lives to an advisor. And they're going to take on that role of the person who makes the mistakes and the person in control. And you want to, as a parent, reserve the right to give them advice, have them come to you, to talk to them, to reach out to them. You never want to surrender that role of mm-hmm. speaking truth into their lives. Mm. Okay, so if they're not rebellious and they're willing to submit to the rules of your home, um, but they're... Uh, I'm thinking a parent just called me recently. Yeah. Um, their son or daughter refuses to clean up after themselves. Um, their place is a mess. They're down in the... They brought their bedroom down in the basement. It's a mess. Um, they won't clean it up. Um, there's seven other kids in the house. Um, the mother just recently said, hey, um, we're trying to get this, um, this new um, dishwasher, you know, installed. Our other, other broke down. Can you help me put it in? And, and he or she said, no. It was he. No, I'm, I'm exhausted. I just got home from work, and I'm not going to do it. And um, she went and told her husband, you know, and the husband went and said, hey, you know, we're, we're all in this together. We're trying to work these things out together. And they actually have a pretty good relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, this is unusual for this guy. I know this kid. He's not, he's not really like that normally. And, um, but uh, they, can't, they can't get him. He, so he's working. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also giving his parents some money, you know, to, to rent. And he feels like, hey, I've got my independence. I'm living here. Um, you know, he pays like 50, 50 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Um, I got my independence, and uh, you can't tell me what to do. What, what do you do with a child like that? Oh, that's tough. Molly. Oh, I'm not a parent. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I think that's tough because it has to do with your relationship with that child and the dynamics of the family. But, I mean, at some point, you're teaching your kid about real life. So what you have to do at some point is you have you have to at some point you have to set boundaries and limits and say if you don't do this there will be consequences and you need to start little and ratchet it up so little things like if you don't clean your room this will be the consequence we will do this and you got to follow through well okay what's the consequence if you if, you've got teenagers right now right i do i have two teenagers okay. they're very difficult <laughs> yeah, they're not as difficult. No, they're as not. Say. They're <laughs> pretty nice good kids. kids. But yeah, so, they're good kids. So what do you do? And they're they're not cleaning the room, and they're not getting it done. They just my my kids have always been known that I'm kind of consistent, 
And I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but they also know that I'm a little bit crazy. <laughs> like, dad will do that thing, like spank me as a teenager in front of my friends. <laughs> like, Whoa. so we don't, they, they kind of know I'm a little bit crazy and I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I think that's a good thing. Comes from, <laughs> that comes from my, my, my semi-redneck upbringing. Um, <laughs> but um, mostly I'm just consistent. They know when I say something, I mean it. Oh, that's and amazing. I'm not going to back down from it. Uh-huh. That's really good. And I follow through. So there is no moment where they win and it just all goes away. Ooh. See, now I was the opposite. I, and I, I learned the hard way. I, I just didn't have the character to – and I didn't have the relationship with God early in my Christian life to have my character formed in such a way that I, what I said I meant and what I meant I said. So I hadn't learned that yet, you know, and I, and I think I'm st- – Still learning that a little bit. I'm much better than I was, but I think the c- consistent approach to our children, a loving, consistent, mm. firm approach, is probably the best parenting approach. Absolutely. And you see cases of like um, one of the hardest things to do is you're, if you're not if your kids are not saved, mm-hmm. there's nothing. You you the God needs to work in their hearts. Right. And one of the hardest things to do is when you have kids who aren't saved, they just don't get it. Mm. It's like Saul. They don't see. They don't have those spiritual eyes. And so it's really hard because they're not going to share the same values because they don't see what you see. But even, even an unsafe kid, though, if you're consistent with them, there's an, I think there's an investment. Yep. Each time that you're consistent, so let's say you start off slowly, like saying like, okay, listen, um, your room's a mess. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you're 18 years old, 19, 20, 21, whatever. Um, so, hey, I, I want you to stay in this home as long as possible um, because I think it's better for you to be here than out in the world. But if you don't, you know, abide by these little rules that I've got for you, then the first consequence is, is this, you know, like there, there can't be any electronics, you know, in this house. I know you like them, but um, I'm going to do away with the Internet. It's gone. So that's mm-hmm. the first consequence. That's a little one. You know, and he'll be like, oh, I'll just get it on my own phone. Oh, and by the way, um, I know you're on our payment plan for the phone, but um, you're no longer be on the payment plan. for the- So that's the next one. So those are yeah. little consequences, but they're, they're costly, you yeah. know? I'll, I'll, and then the next time, it's like, okay, you're part of this home and I love you, but um, you're not going to be able to be on our car insurance anymore. I'm sorry. So those are, those are consistent with, uh, we mean business. We want you to be here, but there's a price to pay if you're not going to cooperate. These are not adult children. These are 19, 21-year-old children. They've not reached adulthood. They're still acting like children. Mm-hmm. You know, so I wouldn't I would treat them like a child. I wouldn't treat them like an adult. Yeah, they're more inward focused or mm-hmm. less outward focused. Mm-hmm. I think you being outward focused would care more about how, what people thought of, like, of you. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who are haven't matured, they're in that arrested development stage where they're like a child in a man's body or a woman's body. They don't have the same concerns. They just want their thing because they're concerned about themselves inward focused. Mm-hmm. Um, so- Treating yeah. them like a child, is that going to help with the issue? Because it seems like they just need to grow up. I don't think I'm treating them like a child. I'm just I'm giving them consequences that are consistent. Consistent, firm, but loving discipline. That's what God does with us. Mm-hmm. It's consistency, I think, that's key. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, when you have a child um, who they don't understand why you're doing what you do, but if they understand the results of their actions, they have a choice in their behavior. And they can, and if they know they're going to have consequences, then they can choose to change their behavior. Mm-hmm. And and I think with a with a 
with a situation like this, it's key is you have to talk to your spouse and make sure you're both willing to go as far as you need to go mm. because they're going to push it if they see a weakness in your spouse mm-hmm. where, you know, mom will never kick me out. And you need to both sit down and say, here's where this is going, buddy. Mm. At the end of this, if you don't listen to us, we will kick you out. And you need to say it with one voice. Consistency is not just about following through on what you say you're going to do. It's about having the guts to say where you're going to go and being unified and consistent in both parents applying that. Where does mercy fit in? God's mercies to a thousand generations is judgments to only the third and fourth. So there's an imbalance between God's judgment and mercy. Let me finish. There's an imbalance between God's mercy and judgment, but to those who keep his commandments. I left that out for decades. So there is an obedience part of this. So what yep. do you, what do you, where does mercy fit into this? Buddy, I'll help you move in. I'll help you pack your bags and you know you can consistently help with you know you know what maybe maybe your kid has some hard times and you need to like you know give them some money for food or buy them some food and groceries and bring them over and continue to reach out to them because kindness that they don't deserve will go further than entitlement they think they deserve Mm -hmm. so that brings me to a story and we're gonna we're gonna end here um it seems like we we're, we're not going to get through these easily. This well, is, we've this, got a whole series of these, so it's amazing. stay tuned. <laughs> I'm I'm learning so much from you, Colin. This is really yeah great stuff. But here's the story. We're going to end with this. Uh, my oldest son um, called me one day and said, uh, "Dad, um, there's this 944 turbo Porsche that I'd like to buy, um, but I'd like your blessing." This is when our relationship was starting to be heal, starting to heal, and I'm like. Uh, 944 Turbo Porsche, um, and not a chance. You know? What color was it? <laughs> Red. Oh, of course. Uh, Dad, it's, this guy's been keeping, he's kept it in his garage, never seen winter. He he likes me. He wants me to have it. I'm like, how much? He goes, $6,500. I said, well, does it not have an engine? You know, what's the deal with this thing? You know, and he goes, Dad, this is a once in a lifetime buy. You know, you know what happens when kids see something like that. You know there's something wrong with this thing, right? And I'm like, no, no, you, I'm not gonna, I'm not giving you my blessing. And we talked it through, and I said, hey, look, it, you're, you're 18, you're getting ready to get a summer job. People see you driving around in this thing, they're just gonna think you're just this kid that just thinks so much of himself, and you're not willing to get out there and second. You need to be saving for your future, not spending six thousand six hundred dollars. He goes. Dad, he goes, all I need you to do is I need your blessing and I need you to co-sign for the loan. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, not going not gonna to happen. And uh, he goes, well, he goes, I think you're making a mistake. He goes, I'm, I'm asking you. He goes, I didn't just do this behind your back. I'm asking you. I said, I appreciate that. But I'm preventing you from, you know, incurring a huge debt and um, – you know, a, a road that you're going on that is is not going to be healthy for you. Yeah. So the answer is no. Several weeks went by, and um, Jonathan uh, came to me and he goes, "I I I don't agree with your decision." He goes, "I'm I'm getting the car." I said, "Okay, you can choose that, but you're not going to live in this house if you're going to go against my, you know, my decision." of not giving you the blessing. You asked me for a blessing. You didn't get it. Now you're going to go over my head with this. I said, not while you live in this house. I didn't really mean it as a... So this is when I, I wasn't saying what I meant and meant what I said. But I, I think I did, I did mean it. Not while you live in this house. 
And I didn't have any real plan of how I was going to exercise that. But within a few days, he moved out. He, he was gone. Whoa. I know. It's crazy, right? And uh, some one of the one of his friends, an older friend, probably around 25 years old, um, took him in, you know, free of charge. The think guy was thinking he was, you know, giving him grace and helping him out. <clears throat> so so Jonathan had his place where he was living all set. Um, and uh, I'll never forget it. I was at a conference and I had to go speak on the family, and it was it was like Thursday, and I had to fly out that night. And we're sitting for dinner, and, and um, my oldest son is there at dinner. He's not moved, quite moved out yet, and it was horrible. It was like this black cloud hanging over our family. You know, no one's talking to each other. There's this just penetration of, you know, just blame and, and strife, you know. And, of course, at that time in my life, I was thinking, like, this is not my deal. This is your deal, you know. This is your fault, you know. And 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 I made sure that everyone understood that this was not going to be hung on me, especially because I'm going to go fly out in a few hours and speak on the family, mm. you know. And my family's being broken apart, and, you know, here I am. i got to go speak on the family. And I hate doing that. I hate speaking on something where I know that there are unresolved issues in my own life, and there's nothing worse, you probably experienced that in the pastorate before. Oh, totally. Isn't that awful? If you preach on something, you will struggle with that uh, thing that week. Absolutely. All yeah. the time. Never preach on humility without experiencing hum- humbling. <laughs> I know. It's seriously awful. humbling events. And this was a big event. It was down in Texas, and I just was like... So anyways, I I made sure that the Lord and I were in good terms. You know, I, I made myself believe that everything was okay and and that this was not on me. So um, I get down there and I speak, and I, I had a fairly good time, you know, in spite of myself. And uh, I'm coming back, and uh, Debbie calls me up on the phone, and she goes, Jonathan's not doing well. I said, well, what happened? She goes, he, he got the car home, wanted to show it to me, and as he's driving in the driveway, the engine blew. Mm. And I'm like... Oh, that poor kid. Now, listen, this is interesting. God had already worked in my heart. God had already make, made, led me to repentance of mm. the way that I was handling the situation. I handled it with a strong arm. I handled it with hostility. I handled it with, you know, I told you so. You know, this is what's going to happen to you in, in a, just a mean sense. God had already convicted me, and I had already repented. And that's that was, it was true repentance, and I was able to have a fairly good conference when Debbie called me and told me that, I, if it was, it was three days earlier, I would have said, good, now he'll learn. But I, I, I said, oh, that poor kid. He just yeah. spent $6,500 of his money plus title, insurance, and, you know, registration. I'm like, oh, this poor kid. I felt bad. And um, I said, tell him to pick me up at the airport. Um, Debbie would have picked me up, but I said, tell him to pick me up. We had this, this caravan, this Dodge caravan, 240,000 miles out of the doors are welded on so they don't fall off. You know, <laughs> I said, tell him to pick me up with the caravan. And uh, so I, I get to the airport, and I'm coming down the escalator, and I see Jonathan over in the seats with his head, like, hanging way down. He doesn't even want to see me. And uh, he looks up at me, 
He finally sees me and just kind of walks over sheepishly with his head just down. And I walk over to him and I pick his chin up and I look in his eyes and I said, um, sorry about the car. I said, but uh, whatever it takes tomorrow, we're going to get it fixed and I'm going to pay for it. And he goes, really? I said, yeah. I said, I'm, I'm for you. I'm not against you. I said, this is an amazing lesson that you've learned, and you'll never forget it. And if, if it cost me $6,500 for you to learn this lesson, that's worth it. And uh, besides that, I love you. And um, it was the second time in his life that I've seen him cry. Mm. It was probably the second time in my life that I had exercised genuine grace in his life. And, uh, and our children, I think, we got to have that mixture between grace and strength. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have one without the other. Absolutely. They have to know that we unconditionally love them. You know, we don't love them because they obey the rules. We love them because they're our children. And um, that had a significant impact on his life. A few years later, my youngest son, David, wanted to buy a BMW and— uh, you know, my kids just like good, like nice cars, and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and he goes, Dad. He goes, I found this amazing car, and I said, Really? I said, Awesome. What is it? It's a BMW. You know, it's, it's amazing. And Dad, it's only like thirteen thousand dollars. You know, and he's so excited. He goes, Dad, do you think you'd be willing to co-sign for me? I said, Absolutely. He goes, Really? I said, Yeah. Let's. You want to get the loan today? He goes, Wait a minute. He goes, like, are you, is this like you're trying to teach me a lesson? I said, yeah. He goes, never mind. I don't want to get the car. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and with that said, um, Colin, thanks so much. This has been mm-hmm. incredible. Molly, let's do this again, like, tomorrow morning. Yeah. Okay. Cool. On friendship, let's look at what it takes to uh, build courageous friendships that lead to honest in truthful relationships. God bless. You've been listening to Fastened Like Nails, a presentation of Lamplighter Ministries. Our mission is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord by building Christ-like character one story at a time. To learn more about our family collection of rare books, dramatic audios, or guild programs, visit lamplighter.net. To hear more podcasts, search for Fastened Like Nails wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a question you would like to submit for the Lamplighter team, visit lamplighter.net slash podcast and fill out the form. That's lamplighter.net slash podcast.